Our Christmas series is called Counterfeit Christmas, and uh, Darren helped us come up with the logo for all of that, uh, and I thought it was pretty pretty cute, the, the Counterfeit Christmas. Can we turn some lights off or something? Or there's no way, I don't think there's any way to get back across that stage uh, to turn the lights off. Can you see? Might want to turn these lights off. I don't know. We can't really see the... Uh, can you see me? I'm up here. <clears throat> so we're going to talk about, you know, counterfeit Christmas. The, the idea there is we want to talk about the real versus the artificial when it comes to Christmas. And one of the subjects that we're going to deal with is, is power versus props. And I thought I would do that one this week, especially because we're without some of our props. You know, we, we, we've gotten to relying on things, you know, to, to make a good service. Oh, you've got to have, you know, uh, we've got to have the keyboard, and we've got to have the piano, and we've got to have all of these things, and, you know, lights and smoke machines and all that kind of stuff. And, and if we're not careful, we can rely on props rather than the genuine power of God. And when you, and when you study um, the Christmas story, uh, there's not a lot of props in the Christmas story. This is not... Uh, this is not a Las Vegas um, birth of, of, of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It, it's done without, without props. And so today I'm going to call the message that has to do with this theme of power versus props, Herod the Great and Jesus the King. Herod the Great and Jesus the King. Now, how many know that, uh, and we hear about it every year about this time, about the war on Christmas. You know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the war on Christmas? People talk about the war on Christmas, and you hear about it more and more every year. And, uh, and frankly, moving to Tennessee, it's a little bit less than it was in Illinois. But you're, you, I'm, I'm just, I, I hate to tell you this, but you're heading down the same path that they're, they're heading up north. I'm, I'm just telling you that, that our culture is slipping away from us very quickly. And, and, and you know, it's become, it's become sort of uh, uh, not politically correct to say Merry Christmas anymore, you know, because we said Christ, you know, when we said Christmas, and so we have to say Happy Holidays, or, uh, you know, you can't talk about the Christmas tree sometimes in public facilities anymore, it's the what? It's the it's the holiday tree, yeah, it's the holiday tree. It's, it's no longer the, the Christmas tree, but it's the holiday tree. And that's being mandated. Don't think that's not happening. That is being mandated in our public facilities all over right here in Tennessee right now. It's, a, it's the holiday tree. It's not, uh, it's not the Christmas tree. But having said that, you, you know, I'm not giving you one of these Fox News we need to get back to the way things used to be, kind of. I'm not trying to be the Bill O'Reilly or the Sarah Palin, let's say, Merry Christmas and all that, because I don't really think that the war on Christmas is about political correctness. It's being framed to be about political correctness, but I'm going to share with you from the Scripture today that there's something more serious going on in the war of Christmas than just about whether we say... Because, because what they'll say is we don't want to offend the Jews. Can I just tell you a secret the other day? Jews are not offended when you say Merry Christmas, all right? Just like Christians aren't offended when you say Happy Hanukkah. Am I telling the truth this morning? It's not offensive for us to, to celebrate, no matter what culture we are, our own holidays. Uh, and so it's, it's, being, it's being 
It's being sold to us under the guise of political correctness, but it's deeper than that. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to kind of get to the bottom of what this war is that's going on on Christmas, and I want to share with you this is not a new war. And so I want to begin reading chapter 2 of the Gospel of Matthew, and it begins this way, And Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of Herod, of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We have seen his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now notice in this passage that there's two kings mentioned. It's in the time of King Herod, and then it says the man came to worship this newborn king, of the Jews. The first point that I want to share with us this morning is that Herod represents false power which is propped up by scarcity. False power which is propped up by scarcity. Now it's no coincidence that Jesus was born in the time of Herod because Herod was considered the greatest builder of all of the, the Jewish kings. Uh, I got to go to Israel a couple of years ago, and, and evidence of Herod is still all over the place when you go to the Holy Land. There's a city called Caesarea that Herod built, and he built a palace there, and he's got a swimming pool. This is 2,000 years. He's got a swimming pool that goes out into the sea, filled by seawater. There's a place where they raced chariots around um, in Caesarea. It's an amazing place. He built Masada. You've heard of Masada. He built his summer retreat there. The remnants of his palaces are still there. He was involved in the greatest expansion of the temple. Um, and, and so the, the Wailing Wall, or the Western Wall that uh, people talk about in Israel, that was built by Herod. But you see, Herod was not the rightful king. He was a pretender. He was not even of the, of the, the right lineage. He was, he was an Edomite. And if you know anything about, about Bible history, Edomite, it comes from Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau? This goes back to the Jacob and Esau story. He's an Edomite. He's a he descendant of Esau. And so he knows that his pedigree isn't good. He, he's not coming from the right lane, line. And so he's a very insecure leader. And, he, and, and so he's, he's always killing his, uh, his opponents. He, he was put into place, not by the Jews, but by the Romans. And so he's a puppet to the Romans, and he's, he's always trying to please them. In fact, he names the, the city Caesarea because it's Caesar. He names it after Caesar. He's this, he's this, this, this false, propped-up king. But I said in, in my first point there that, that, that false power is built on scarcity. And I, I just want to dwell here for a second because because I think that's true today that that politicians try to control us by making us think that resources are scarce and so you've got to please us in order to get your resources and so they manipulate they, they manipulate the world out of this sense of scarcity. And where Jesus is threatening is because Jesus comes and says there's enough for everyone. Jesus says there's room for everyone. 
There's room for Gentiles. There's not insiders and there's not outsiders. In fact, he says to poor people, hey, hey, don't buy into the scarcity stuff. Consider the lilies, how they grow. If God can take care of a little lily, He can take care of us. And, and, and Jesus comes along preaching that there's abundance and there's enough for everything. And so He's a threat. And politicians today have still got us on the same line. You know, I just, I just want to say that in the church, we just need to have a sense of the abundance of God. That, that there's enough. That, 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 that he, is, he is not just enough for you, but He's the God who is more than enough. It's abundance versus, versus scarcity. You probably notice I have a pretty low-key uh, approach when it comes to taking the offering. You know why that is? It's because, because I think sometimes when, when people try to manipulate with offerings, it's like there's just a limited amount and God's going broke up there in heaven. And, you know, if, 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 and, and, and when we give, we think, oh, no, when I'm giving to the Lord, I'm, I'm getting rid of some things and, and I know how to subtract. And if I give 10% to the Lord, that only leads 90% for me. But Jesus says something totally different. He flips that on his head, and he says, there's enough. When you give, give it, it'll be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That, that there's enough, and so there's an abundance, and there's a supply. So we don't, we don't get up and take the offerings like we're worried that, that the church is going broken, that heaven's going broke. And, and, and I just wish that that would just take over this church, that sense of abundance. Amen. Does that make any sense? Abundance versus scarcity. It's, 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 it's real power versus False power. You know, I, I was trying, I, I knew I was going to preach this, and I was trying to have an abundant attitude at Thanksgiving. You, you know, some, I struggle with, you, you didn't know this before, but I'm going to tell you a secret about me. I struggle with my weight. I know none of you ever even knew that. You didn't know that before, did you? I know, it's coming as a revelation, Daniel. But, but you know, when it came to Thanksgiving, Alan, I was saying to myself, you know what? There's more than enough food here, and I don't have to eat it all today. There's still going to be some tomorrow. You know, sometimes, it's, and it happens to a lot of us when we didn't grow up having much, you know what I mean? We see that Thanksgiving table and say, I better get it now because it's not going to be here. You know, there's that scarcity. But, but people that have an abundant attitude, it's like, you know, I, all those dinner rolls look good, but I don't have to have them because I know my wife has got the ability to make them later. I don't have to eat them all uh, today. Just the abundance mentality. That, had, that was free. That had nothing to do with anything. But I just thought I'd share that with you. I thought it was interesting as I studied Herod that Herod ruled for 33 years. He rules for 33 years. And of course, Jesus lives 33 years. And, and so just as Herod is finishing his 33-year term, Jesus is coming on the scene. And he's threatened by it. Let's continue reading in our Bibles. I'm going to begin with verse 3 now of Matthew chapter 2. When Herod, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler, and you will shepherd my people Israel. Now, now this next point I'm sharing is that Jesus 
threatens the sovereignty of politicians and exposes the sin of the religious. You see, I was struck by this passage that said that Herod was disturbed. What was it that disturbed Herod? What disturbs Herod is that if there's another king in town, that he's not sovereign. He's not the one that's to be worshipped. He's not the one who is to reign. He's not the rightful king. But not only is Herod disturbed, Israel is disturbed with him. And all Israel is disturbed with him. Why is is the Messiah disturbing to Israel? I I wrestled with this as I studied. Why, Why wouldn't they be? Aren't they expecting a Messiah? Aren't they looking forward to a Messiah? Why are they disturbed by a Messiah? Because you know what? If a Messiah comes or a Savior comes, it means you've got to admit that you're broken. If there is a Messiah, you've got to admit that you needed one. <laughs> so, so Israel's disturbed because they've got Abraham as their father. They, they know the ritual. They know that leave my life alone. We know how to play church. We know how to do religion. We know all that stuff. We don't need a Savior. We've got it all figured. In fact, we've made our religion out of looking for a Savior, but we never expect one to come because if he ever came, it would mess everything up. And so, and so, Herod's disturbed, but so is all Israel with him. Can I just suggest this morning that, that the issue with Christmas may be a little bit deeper than using the words Merry Christmas. I don't think the issue is, is, is political correctness. I think the real issue is, If Jesus is indeed the king, then maybe the Senate and the Congress and the President are not the king. That really if we believe that there's a new king in town, that Jesus has come and that he is indeed Lord, maybe then that's a threat to all the earthly powers that be. And could it be that the real reason that our governments don't want us saying Merry Christmas is because this little baby is a threat to their power, which is based on scarcity. If we're going to manipulate people, if we're going to, if we're going to run the world the way we run the world, then we've got to get people to thinking like we think. But here comes this baby along. Christmas story is not just a nice courier and Ives picture of a baby in a manger who comes to a welcoming world. This kid is dangerous. That's what I'm talking about. This Jesus is dangerous. If we're going to receive Jesus, it means that we're going to have to admit that we need him. In, in the town that I came from, do you have, yeah, that next picture there. This is a picture from the downtown park in Ottawa, Illinois. In the 1950s, there were, there were uh, 16 pictures of the life of Jesus that were commissioned, and they were paintings that would go up in Washington Park. Now, my, my little hometown was kind of famous for one thing. Lincoln and Douglas did one of their debates right in this park, in Washington Park, in, uh, in downtown Ottawa, Illinois. It's a beautiful park and there's churches that surround it. There's a little popcorn stand with a guy that looks like Abraham Lincoln there. And at Christmas time, 
they would put out these pictures. But, but uh, back when I was a kid, these pictures had gotten lost. They'd done some construction or something, and the pictures were lost. But, but while they were doing some remodeling, these 16 pictures were found again. And so in the 1980s, they put these pictures back up in the park in, um, in Ottawa, Illinois. And um, some atheists got very offended about that. And so there was a lawsuit that was brought against our city that said we could no longer have those pictures. And the ACLU won the case and, and, and had these pictures removed from the downtown park uh, in, in, in Ottawa, Illinois. Well, thankfully, I don't know if you, any of you remember D. James Kennedy. D. James Kennedy was the pastor of, uh, of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in, in Florida. He was a, a, a really, a, he was a warrior uh, when it came to issues like this. D. James Kennedy took up the cause, and they got some of their legal experts involved, and uh, they took it to the appellate court, and it was a big deal in our local town when we won the case. And so today in Ottawa, Illinois, these 16 paintings are hanging. Every year, though, there's protests when these go up. Atheists will come from out of the city and, and hang up Jesus is dead across trees and all kinds of stuff. Uh, what, is, what's, what is it about these pictures that are so threatening? What's so threatening about it is that if we really accept who Jesus is, and what he, then, then there is a new king in town. Mm. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you found him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. <laughs> I played in a Christmas play when I first moved to Ottawa, and, the, and I first moved to Murfreesboro, I'm sorry, and... and Melanie remembers this. I played Herod. And I had a nice flowing gown and a hat. And I remember this line. I sang, Go and search diligently. Go and search diligently for the young child. For the young child. And when you have found him, Bring me word again. And when you have found him, bring me word again. That I may go and worship him also. Obviously, Herod wasn't wanting to worship him. You see, the issue is there can only be one king. Herod says, hey, okay, he's coming, let's share the power. But Herod knows that there can only be one king. I want to ask you this morning, who's reigning in your life? Who is the king in your life? You know, uh, years ago, Bob Dylan wrote a song, you got to serve somebody. You can't. You can't have multiple lords. He said, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion in the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. 
You're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil and it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. This morning, I I came to tell you that you are going to have to serve somebody. You can't just say, you can't just say, well, I don't believe in God, because if you don't believe in God, you're going to believe in something. You're going to serve yourself, you're going to serve something, but but there is a king, and you've got to figure out which king it is in your life. You know, it's been wonderful worshiping here in Gresham Middle School. I think it's kind of a cool thing that we're still able to, to, to meet in a, in a public school setting. I think it's a cool thing that outside the doors it says, in God we trust when you come in. I remember asking the principal, how do you get away with this? And she said, watch them try to take it from me. So we got a, we got a principal who believes in God, and I think that's a wonderful thing. We've only had one complaint so far. We've had one complaint so far, not from the principal, not from anybody at Gresham, but from a community person. They wrote to the county, and they said, we saw a church sign outside and I didn't know if I was bringing my kid to church or school and so the 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 county wrote us a letter and said hey somebody complained you got a church I said well we don't have any church signs on the property the closest thing we have is across the street I'll be glad to take it down no problem and uh, so the lady from the county called me and said I just had to write you that letter because I'm required to do it but we love what you're doing just keep doing what you're doing you know and so that, that was a that, that was a wonderful that we've had wonderful reception uh, so far from the county but 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 I just want to tell you that's that was the first complaint but that's not going to be the only complaint because what we are doing What we are doing is threatening the powers that be. Let me tell you something. There is spiritual warfare when you try to do something and you try to raise the name of Jesus in the city. Maybe you don't all feel it. I feel the spiritual warfare going on even about what we're trying to do here at Gresham Middle School. But you know what it tells me? It tells me we're on the right track because we're declaring there's a new king in town. And his name is Jesus Amen. There are powers and principalities that are nervous that we're here. But that's all right. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were over. Joyed. I came to tell you this morning that finding Jesus brings joy to those who are seeking for a Savior. Hallelujah. It may tick the politicians off. It may tick some of the powers that be. But if there's somebody that's got a seeking heart, if there's somebody like these wise men who are looking for a Messiah. In fact, most people say that these guys were Gentiles. They weren't even supposed to be included. But here these guys, they're a long way from God. And they come a long way away. And they're excited when they get to the Christ child. Can I just tell you, there's no joy like knowing Jesus this morning. There's no joy like like knowing Jesus this morning. Hallelujah. 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 St. Augustine said, Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. If you want joy this morning, if you want real joy, I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about super uh, official 
happiness. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about the deepest places of your, of your heart being met. If you're looking for that longing thing in your, if you're wondering what it is that you were born for, can I tell you that if you ever get a glimpse of who Jesus is and you get a glimpse of the Christ child, he'll bring you joy. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. On coming to the house, verse 11, they saw the child with his mother and Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Once you come to Jesus, you can't go back to Herod. Hear that? Once you come to Jesus, you can't go back to Herod. We're done with Herod now because we found Jesus. And so seekers bring their best gifts to Jesus. People that are are sincere and longing, they don't think anything about you. Once you have found what you're looking for, it's not a chore to say, here's my hands, here's my feet, here's my life. I give you everything that I am. The the Bible says that they gave their best. They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is a gift that's worthy of a king. Frankincense was a a perfume that was a gift worthy of a priest. That that he's the king. And he's also the high priest. And then they gave him myrrh. And most commentators think that that had something to do that they were already... uh, prefiguring his death, that they, were, that they were singing the fact that he was going to die, and myrrh was an anointing oil that you would anoint somebody when they were going to die. So here they brought him gold because he was a king. They brought him frankincense because he was a priest, and they already began anointing him and said, this is this little child is going to give their life. And so they gave him myrrh. Seekers bring their best gifts to Jesus. We, we um, this, is a, this is a season of giving, but but, but at this season of giving, can I just challenge you this morning? The best gift you could give is to give your life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Not, not just a part. He wants, he wants all of your heart. So they bring their best gifts to Jesus. Skip down to verse 16, if you would. When Heron realized that he had been un- outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said throughout the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice in, is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. If you continue reading right after that, it says, but then King Herod himself died. King Herod himself died. So King Herod says that he's going he's gonna to snuff out what God is doing by, um, by killing all of the baby boys. And, and, and of course, Jesus and his family fled into Egypt so that they wouldn't be killed. But uh, King Herod, uh, Herod himself, right after this passage, the Bible says, and he died. And, and the last point that I want to share this morning is that you cannot stop. It is impossible to stop. It's impossible to stop the inevitable 
reign of Jesus. I came to tell you this morning is that you can try to keep him out of your Christmas cards. You can try to call it a holiday tree. You can do all those kind of things. But Jesus is going to reign. Jesus shall reign. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But Jesus is going to reign. When all of the dust settles, when all of the the wars are over, when all of the kings have come and go, when all of North Korea has has, 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 uh, sprouted their heads and Iran has sprouted their heads and and other places that are trying to to, get nuclear weapons and do all of these things, when all of the dust settles, Jesus is still going to reign. Jesus is in control, and it's impossible to stop. It's impossible to stop the inevitable reign of Jesus. Herod, as great as he was, as great as, as, great as a builder as he was, and, as, and, and, and in spite of all that he could do, he could not stop. So he tries to kill all of the, you, you can kill all of the baby boys that you want to do. And let me just tell you something. They're, they're, the enemy is, is, is marching today, trying to kill unborn children today. Amen. I'm not talking politics this morning. I'm talking the word of God this morning. The, the enemy's doing all that he can do. But Jesus Christ is going to reign. Amen. Amen. It's impossible to stop the inevitable reign of Jesus Christ. You know, they're, 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 I hear this on a lot of times now. If you don't get with the latest cultural change, they'll say, you're not on the right side of history. Have you ever heard that, being on the wrong side of history? Are you on the wrong side of history or are you on the right side of history? Can I just tell you this morning, Receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior and as the King of Kings puts you on the right side of history. Because when history is His story. History is His story. So this morning, I just invite you to be on the right side of history. That that Jesus has come and and, and the counterfeit Christmas is going through this going through this season without acknowledging him as Lord and Savior. And real Christmas means inviting him to be the center, not just of this season, but to be the center of our lives.